Well, some of you know that I spent a few days earlier this week on the Oregon coast, and it was nice to have that chance to, to, to get away, and uh, as most pastors, even when they're on vacation, they're looking for sermon illustrations, and, and one that was, that was very evident and, and present, I think you'll see why in just, in just a moment, is that, you know, when you're on the coast, there's really harsh conditions for a lot of the, the trees and the shrubs and other things that grow there, but at the same time, it's very lush, because you know, it's raining about half the time. Thankfully, it only rained on us about one day while we were out there, and so you encounter trees that are um, damaged, wind, wind damaged in a lot of cases, broken. Uh, sometimes the, the soil has been soaked to the point that, you know, there's mudslides and things that kind of topple trees into one another. And, and even as you're hiking along the trails, you see trees that have been torn from their roots and are lying upon their sides. But these trees, because of the, the rich environment that they're in, don't, don't die from these wounds more often than not. Um, they, they adjust to a new situation or new condition. They, they twist and they turn towards the, the sun, even if they've been bent by the wind in another direction. They learn to, to grow again even after some adversity. Trees that are completely blown over, except for a few original roots that are in the ground, have limbs that then become trunks. And then those trunks send out a tendril of, of new roots that wrap around the original trunk and into the soil. These trees find ways not only to survive, but to thrive. Now, it's easy, especially as you're along the Oregon coast, um, to contrast these sorts of trees with the trees that are planted in the clear cuts. And you can see them. Now, I've got family that, that work in the timber industry, so please do not uh, construe any of this as uh, being derogatory towards that practice because it's more than necessary. And as someone building a house, I wish they were harvesting a little bit more lumber right now because the prices are so high. But when they clear cut and they replant those trees, they do so very uniformly. And they just kind of grow straight up. You know, they're kind of the, those replacement forests are kind of the forests that a, a seven-year-old draws, you know, with the, the straight trunks and the, and the branches coming out like this. And they don't look anything like the other trees in, in the unharvested parts of the forest that have got these interesting twists and turns to them. They are trees, those in the clear cuts, that are, um, you know, they're, they're trees without a whole lot of imagination, um, unaffected by life experience, not having been shaped by the buffeting winds of life or the wounds of strife and pain. So let me ask you a question. Which category of trees would you rather walk among? Where would you prefer to spend your leisure or find some rest in the heat of the day? Now, in our gospel passage today, we're not going to encounter any trees, but we do see a body that bears the scars of adversity, pain, and suffering. 
we see both doubt and faith, skepticism and compassion. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, you'll see those verses printed for you in, in your bulletin. John writes, On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. So that, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In the scripture passage, we see a Savior that bears beautiful scars, scars that tell a story of the love that Jesus has for you and me. These scars and Jesus' compassion suggest that we approach our woundedness with a willingness to persevere and worship through, through our hurt and loss. Now, our wounds may be decades old, but they leave scars. Some may be physical, but many more lie just below the surface. Scars on our hearts, scars caused by mistreatment or misunderstanding in a relationship. God forbid some scars even caused by the church. This is a universal theme across cultures and peoples. For example, consider the story of the rough-faced girl. It's uh, from the Algonquin people of Ontario and Quebec, Canada, and I'll be telling a version of this tale as told by Rafe Martin. Once long ago, there was a village by the shores of Lake Ontario. Off from other, the rest of the wigwams in this village stood one great huge wigwam. And painted on its sides were pictures of the sun, moon, stars, plants, trees, and animals. And inside this wigwam, there was said to live a very great, rich, powerful, and supposedly handsome, invisible being. No one could see him except for his sister, 
who lived there too. Now many women in the village wanted to marry this invisible being, but his sister said, only the one who can see him will be allowed to marry him. Now in this village there lived a poor man who had three daughters. The two older daughters were cruel and hard-hearted, and they made their younger sister sit by the fire and feed the flames. When the burning branches popped, the sparks fell on her. In time, her hands became burnt and scarred. Her arms became too rough and scarred, and even her face was marked by fire. And her beautiful long black hair hung ragged and charred. Those two older sisters laughed at her, saying, Ha! You are ugly, you rough-faced girl. And they made her life lonely and miserable indeed. The rough-faced girl went to her father and said, Father, may I please have some beads? May I please have some new, a new buckskin dress and some pretty moccasins? I am going to marry the invisible being, for wherever I look, I see his face. But her father sighed, Daughter, he said, I am sorry. I have no beads for you, only some little broken shells, and I have no buckskin dress. But she said, Whatever you can spare, I can use. So he gave her these few things. Then she found dried reeds, and making, er, taking the little broken shells, she strung a necklace. She stripped birch bark from the dead trees and made a cap, a dress, and leggings. And then with a sharp piece of bone, she carved in the bark pictures of the sun, moon, stars, planet, trees, and animals. Then all of the people came out of their wigwams. They pointed and stared. But the rough-faced girl had faith in herself, and she had courage. She just kept walking right through the village. As she walked on, she saw the great beauty of the earth and the skies spreading before her. And truly, she alone of all of that village saw in these things the sweet yet awesome face of the invisible being. At last, she came to the lake shore, just as the sun was sinking behind the hills, and the many stars came glittering out like a fiery veil in the darkening sky overhead. And there standing by the water's edge was the sister of the invisible being, waiting. When she looked at that rough-faced girl, she saw at once, though her skin was scarred, her hair burnt, her clothes strange, that she had a beautiful, kind heart. And so she welcomed her dearly, saying, Ah, my sister, why have you come? And the rough-faced girl replied, I have come to marry the invisible being. Tell me, have you seen my brother, the invisible being? And the rough-faced girl said, yes. If you have seen him, tell me, what is his bow made of? And the rough-faced girl said, his bow? Why, it's the great curve of the rainbow. Ah! cried the sister in wonder and delight. You have seen him. Come with me. And taking the rough-faced girl by the hand, she led her back to the great wigwam. Then they heard footsteps coming 
along the path. The entrance flap of the wigwam lifted up and in stepped the invisible being. And when he saw her sitting there, he said, at last, we have been found out. Then smiling kindly, he added, and oh, my sister, she is beautiful. The sister of the invisible being then gave the rough-faced girl the finest of buckskin robes and a necklace of perfect shells. Now bathe in the lake, she said, and dress in these. So the rough-faced girl bathed in the waters of the lake. Suddenly all the scars vanished from her body. Her skin grew smooth again, and her beautiful black hair grew in long and glossy as a raven's wing. Now anyone could see that she was indeed beautiful, but the invisible being and his sister had seen that from the start. Now that's a wonderful story, and it has a happy ending, but, but not every wound heals this way. And the pain caused in relationship with others can affect the way that we trust, how quickly someone might gain our confidence, or, or how guarded against hope we might find ourselves. One of the remarkable aspects of this story with, of the rough-faced girl is how her attitude remains hopeful and positive despite the hardships that she's faced. Not everyone would have remained so positive and optimistic. For example, in today's gospel passage, Thomas's response differs a great deal from that of the rough-faced girl. Could it be that the doubt and distrust expressed by Thomas resulted from his own woundedness and the scars that he bore? What his friends claimed to have seen Jesus's resurrected body, well, it was just too good to be true. He wants to believe, but, but ask for the same grace that Jesus gave the other disciples. He, he wants to see for himself. Until then, he doubts. Thomas knows the power of evil and death, and having seen Jesus crucified and buried, it might be that he's just so scarred by that tragedy to think that it could just simply be overcome by the Father's power in resurrecting Jesus. Now we could delve into what might have caused Thomas's skepticism based on what we understand of human nature and our, our own responses to trauma and pain, but I'd rather focus today on Jesus's response. Jesus' response is consistent with the love of God made clear in going to the cross and bearing our sin and shame. Jesus met Thomas's need, just as he meets our need. Jesus met Thomas right where he was at, in the midst of his confusion, questioning, and doubt. Whatever made Thomas struggle to believe without seeing was met with compassion by the Savior. Look again at the words of Scripture, verse 24 and following. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
Well, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Do you see what John has left out of this story, leaving us to wonder? Did you catch it? I'll explain. Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks on my hands, put my finger where the nails were, and my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then Jesus appears to him and invites Thomas to do that very thing. But... But there's no record of Thomas actually following through and getting the proof that he has demanded. Now, while I'm sure that he saw the Savior's hands, maybe even embraced Jesus, there's no indication that he placed his hands in the wounds on Jesus' side, despite what artists have depicted. He got the invitation. Jesus met Thomas where he was at, And in that willingness to meet Thomas where he was at, that appears to be enough for Thomas. Did he physically touch Jesus' wounds? We don't know. I kind of like it that John leaves that detail out. He leaves it up for interpretation. Something else that John does, I appreciate all the more. You and I are mentioned in this passage. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus was talking about us. How cool is that? We've not physically seen the Savior in the way Thomas and the other disciples did. And yet Christ has has taught that whenever we minister, in a sense, to the least of these, when we go out into our community in efforts like the Good News Club, when we reach out in acts of compassion and care and mercy to hurting people, we are ministering to him as if it were him in the flesh. Jesus' wounds are beautiful because they're a sign of his love for us and the lengths to which God's love has gone to rescue you and me. Our own woundedness, it's harder to interpret and make sense of. Some hurts remain and cause us to struggle just as Thomas did. Thankfully, Jesus meets us just as he met Thomas right where we're at. And when we see Jesus, when we see the wounds on his head, his hands, his side, well, we understand that he knows our pain as well. You see, the scars on the Savior's body are less a testimony to the evil done to him than the Holy Spirit's ability to give life through him. And that, well, it's a great miracle indeed. That our suffering and pain might be used then for the glory of God. Our wounds, they they enable us to be like Jesus, to, to extend the same compassion 
that Jesus has shown to us. In this way, might our own scars become beautiful in our eyes? Could we view ourselves with the same loving gaze that Jesus looks upon us? Because Jesus has been wounded so that we might live, broken that we might be healed. Can we rejoice that that our scars mirror the Savior's? In her poem, Hast Thou No Scar, Amy Carmichael expresses these thoughts in in a, a prayer to her Redeemer and a challenge to us as fellow Christians. Now, Amy served as decades... four decades as a missionary to India, rescuing children given to the Hindu gods to serve as temple prostitutes. Her ministry involved a great deal of suffering and illness, which often left her bedridden. While serving in India, Amy received a letter from a young lady who was considering a life as a missionary. She asked Amy, what's missionary life like? Amy wrote back simply, Missionary life is simply a chance to die. Hast Thou No Scar is a beautiful poem and one that represents the mindset of every believer, the the mindset that we should cultivate, having the desire to serve, honor, and glorify God by suffering for his name's sake. I'll close with this. Hast Thou No Scar? No hidden scar on on foot or side or hand. I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Leaned me against the tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that can pass. Compass to me I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound nor scar? Let's pray. Jesus, just as you bear the scars from the wounds you suffered, we too bear scars. May we see our suffering as an opportunity to experience more of your grace, an opportunity for healing and a way for your compassion to be known to us and through us. We thank you that through your death and resurrection, a path is cleared for us to an eternal home with God where one day there will be no pain, no hurt, no tears. In the in-between time, strengthen us with your word and with the presence of your very self in this communion meal which we are about to take. Your body broken, your blood poured out. Prepare our hearts as we encounter you in the bread and the cup. And may our response be as Thomas's was. Worship. You are our Lord and our God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.